If you'll open your Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. That's where we'll... I'm going to read Scripture, and then we'll, we'll pray. So, Galatians chapter 6, and we'll be in verse 14. All right? I'm a little bit raspy today, <clears throat> which I'm normally raspy anyway. So, uh, if I have to stop and get a drink of this, uh, well, what looks like water... Uh, no, it is water. Um, you just excuse me, all right? Okay. All right, let's, uh, let's read. Galatians chapter 6, 14, 15, 16, and 17. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. Listen to what he says. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision but a new creation. It's not any kind of work that man has done, but it's becoming a new creation in Christ. Verse 16, And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, <coughs> and upon the Israel of God. Now verse 17, From now on let no one cause me trouble, Paul says, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. I want to talk today on this. Paul, a man who was branded for Christ. He was branded for Christ. Let's pray. Lord, please meet with us now. Please speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray you'll guide my thoughts. Lord, I pray you help my voice today. Help this cold that I'm battling. Lord, I pray that it will not be a distraction. Lord, most of all, we pray that your word would speak to our hearts. And Lord, I pray today, Lord, that this wouldn't just be another Sunday where we come to another church service, but this would be a time when you just speak to our hearts. And Lord, that this service would be a service that's used uh, by your word and your power, Lord, to speak to our hearts and change us. So God, God, everything that goes on this service, we give you the honor and glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Several years ago, um, I took a group of teenagers on a missions trip, which I've been blessed to do several times. And we had a group maybe of 20 or so teenagers and a few adults there. And we went to a place that actually was an, an island place. And um, so we get in there on a Saturday, and we get in there a little bit later in the afternoon, and I get mixed, we get settled in all in. I get with the missionary there, and he goes, you know, really, today we really can't do anything. Let's just get ready for tomorrow's service in the morning, and tomorrow night's service, and then what we're going to do for the week. So we'll practice singing, and we'll do some of the stuff we're going to do. I said, man, that sounds great. So we did a lot of that, and then he, he came up to me and said, let me ask you something. He said, uh, would you want the kids to be able to go over to the ocean and get in the ocean some? I said, yeah, that'd be great. So we, we did that. And so I tell them they all get excited and pumped up. You know, we're going to go get in the ocean and everything. So we get down there and the ladies, the ladies took the girls down to one section. And, the, and the, we took, me and some of the guys took the guys over here. And with the guys, we just, we just can't be in the water. No, no, we, we find a coconut and the coconut became a football. And so we're trying to throw the coconut as a football. And next thing you know, when I was a kid, we used to play, you know, cream the man with the ball, or we called it pick up and smear. Any of you familiar with any of that? Okay. You know, it's kill the man with the ball and you, you can't score. You just run till you get creamed. You know, we started playing that in the water, you know, with these high school guys, mainly high school guys. And uh, this guy named Trey O'Neill, uh, who is a, a really big guy now, he was pretty big in high school. He's got the coconut. And he's running, and one of the other youth workers, Rex, and me, we converge on him, and you know, we're trying to high-step in this shallow water. 
And we both hit him at the same time. And I felt myself get smacked in the mouth. Didn't think a whole lot about it. I come back and I'm going, wow. You know, we're laughing and everything. And then I'm standing there and I see everybody staring at me and they've got this shocked look on their face. And they're going, oh, Brother Tom. Oh, Brother Tom. I'm going, what? What? And when I look down, I have blood everywhere. And Trey's elbow had split my lip wide open. Now, we've all had split lips, but this wasn't just a split lip. This was completely through down to about right here. It looked like I had two bottom lips. And I, I can't see it. I don't know how bad it is. And I can tell they're kind of freaking out. And Rex is a paramedic. He's a fireman. He's a paramedic. And uh, he's kind of laughing about it because he's seen everything, you know? What's a split lip, you know? And uh, so we came over on a little bus. So he goes, oh, man, ooh, that's a bad one, man. And he's kind of laughing. But nobody else is laughing. And at this time, I'm not laughing. And I remember taking my finger, and I'm trying to find it. And I stuck my finger, and it was like this much of my finger goes down into my lip. And I'm going, oh, oh, this is not good. You know? So he goes, get on the bus and go look in that mirror on the bus. It looks like I go in there, and I, the, bus, the mirror right above the driver's seat. And I look at it. I, I'm in shock. I mean, I've got two lips with a split right down the middle. It's like a left lip and a right lower lip. And, and uh, it was bad. Now, some of you are, some of you are I'm going to have to stop because you're just about to lose it right now, okay? I see some of you starting to get a little shaky. But uh, anyway, so long story short, the missionary, we're on an island. There's no hospital. It's not like we can drive over here to TMA. There is no hospital. So the missionary goes, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, and I'm thinking, we got to do something. I mean, you know, I'm not going to bleed to death, but I don't want to look like this the rest of my life, you know. So he ends up calling a nurse about 40 minutes up the, the road. And so her first response is this, well, we don't stitch lips. We just don't stitch lips. It'll heal back together. He goes, no, I think you need to look at this one. She goes, no, I don't need to look at it. We don't stitch lips. He goes, no, I really think you need to look at this one. So he drives me up there. The first thing she said is she goes, oh, yeah, we're going to have to stitch that one, you know. <laughs> and so... I, I, I'm, I got this big thing of ice. I went and got ice out of the cooler with a towel. I'm doing, you know, and so she's tried to stitch the skin down here to pull the lip back together. Well, here's the problem. I got to preach the next morning. And literally, I can't talk. I'm talking like, yeah, here. I try to talk. Like, yeah. You know, I, I mean, I, I felt like Porky Pig. You know, I felt like I was something like that. You know, I mean, I can't talk. And so I'm going, I'm telling my youth worker, Rex, Rex, you, you're going to have to preach in the morning. He goes, I, I can't preach. I never preached in my life. I said, I can't speak like this, you know. So next morning I spoke, and I remember when people were coming. Here we are. We're from, you know, we're from a, a Texas, and we're coming out here on this mission trip, and everybody's coming in, and they look at me, and they're freaking out. Little kids were just staring at me. Just, you know, I'd look over, there, just all, I just turned my head, you know. I mean, I, because they, all they could see was my lip, and I'm thinking, they're not going to hear one word I say today. All they're going to go is, look how nasty that lip looks, you know? Now, that thing miraculously healed up, and you can tell you can't even hardly see it now. I got a little bitty line scar. It looks out great, you know, and everything. But when I brush my teeth, almost every morning I think, Trey O'Neill, Trey O'Neill. You know, I remember that every morning, you know? And I told Trey, I said, you know what? I kind of remember something about you every day. It seems like I remember you, you know? And, uh, but uh, all of us have scars on us. All of us have marks on us. And you know what? With a scar usually comes a story. Like I just told you, you know, this is how I skinned my knee. This is how I got that scar on my back. You know, they all are stories. Those marks are marks of stories. And they're, they're wounds of life that we all get. 
their wounds of life that we all get. Now today, we're going to take a few moments and we're going to look at Paul, Saul who became Paul, and what he says about his life and how he says this, that he's a, a slave of Jesus Christ, and we're going to see how he s- says that he's, he's like branded for Christ. Now, in Acts chapter 7, in verse 58 through 60, we won't take t- the time to read all of it, but it's our first notice of Saul, Paul, of Saul. And if you know the story, he's on his way, uh, or he's with some men, and they're taking Stephen out. And Stephen, the first man martyred, they're taking this Christian man out who had just spoken up against the Sanhedrin. They take him out, and they're casting stones and killing him. And the Bible says that Saul was consenting to the death of Stephen and that the men laid their coats down at the feet of Saul. And he's a young man here. Paul is a young man here, but we're going to notice that he was there with this first martyr who was a Christian. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, And Saul approved of his execution, Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So this young man named Saul had been reared by his parents in this Jewish nationalism and obedience of the law of Moses. Listen, the the parents of Saul guarded against their son being contaminated by other beliefs. So when Christianity comes along, Saul goes, I want none of that, that's wrong. He doesn't believe it. They guarded their son from having relationships even with Gentile children because their son was Jewish. And by the time Saul was an adult, listen to this, tells you how smart he was. By the time Saul is an adult, he can speak Greek, he can speak Latin, and he can speak Aramaic. I mean, highly intelligent, very, very well-schooled. From 13 to 19, Paul sat at the feet of a man named Gamaliel. You've probably heard of him. He was one of the most well-known teachers in Judaism of all time. So it was under Gamaliel that, that Saul learned to dissect Scripture to dissect a text of scripture and debate. Paul was ready for the argument because he was smart in what he believed. So no doubt Saul one day lived when he would become part of this Jewish Supreme Court called the Sanhedrin. Now, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, listen to what Paul tells a little bit about his testimony, his past. Listen to what he says. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul said this, I was, I was so much more zealous than everybody else my age. I was more advanced than they were because I was so zealous in shutting down this Christianity and, and raising up Judaism. But in Acts chapter 9, I want us to read verses 1 through 15 because I don't think I can do an improvement on the Scripture. And so we're just going to read what happens. And I know you've probably read this before in the conversion of Saul. But I want us to read it again this morning just to see God's grace. Just to see God's grace and what God does in the life of this man who was violently standing against Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 9 verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, 
so that if he found any belonging to the way, and it's interesting that that word way is capitalized because it's talking about the way of Jesus Christ, that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it's interesting his answer. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias? And he said, Here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Listen to this. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, the calling of Paul here, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Remember we read in verse 17 of Galatians where Paul said, For I bear in my body the marks of Jesus Christ. Paul was a man who was branded for Christ. All of us have seen an animal being branded where they take that hot iron and put it on their side. And that iron has a certain symbol to it and it means that the animal belongs to a certain ranch or a certain group. What it does is it shows ownership. Paul is saying this, I am owned by Jesus Christ. The famous verse, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul said this, I am crucified. Now, he wasn't physically crucified on the outside like Jesus. But what's he saying? He's saying inwardly, I've been crucified. So let's look at quickly at three things, how Paul was inwardly crucified by God. Number one, Paul was branded by the grace of God. We sang about the grace of God a while ago. The grace of God is an unbelievable thing, that God would love you in your sin, that God would love me in my sin. Listen to what Charles Swindoll, in his book on the Apostle Paul, listen to what he says about Paul. He calls Paul a man of grace, and then he calls him this, a man of grit. Listen to this. He says, tough, tenacious, and fiercely relentless in his determination. Paul pursued his divine mission with unflinching resolve. 
The man modeled grit like no other soul mentioned in the scriptures. But his message and his style were also marked by grace. This one who himself claimed to be the least of all saints and the chiefest of sinners understood and explained grace better than any of his contemporaries. It isn't difficult to understand why. Here it is. He never got over his own gratitude as a recipient of it. And we shouldn't either. God's unmerited favor, his superabounding grace, reached down to him in all of his self-righteous zeal and crushed his pride and drove him to his knees, softened his heart, and transformed this once violent aggressor into a powerful spokesman for Christ. Chuck Swindoll says, a man with that much grit needed that much grace. Not surprisingly, grace dominated Paul's message and ministry to the final moments of his life. Let me read 1 Timothy chapter 1 and 12 through 15 to you. Paul said this, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Notice what Paul says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Here's the saying, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am foremost. Paul says, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was a complete hard opponent against Jesus Christ. In, in verse 15 where he says, of whom I am foremost, in the King James Version he says, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Paul's testimony of being called to the ministry is because of God's grace. Ephesians 3, 7, of this gospel I was made minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. You and I, can relate to Paul today. We can relate to Paul today because we have received this same grace. Our sin is a daily reminder to us of God's grace. For as he thinketh in his heart, the Bible says, so is he. So today we have to remember where we came from. I don't know your testimony, everybody's testimony, and you don't know all of my testimony. But all of us that are saved have a testimony. And you might have got saved when you were a little child. And some of us got saved when we were teenagers. And some got saved in our adult life. But we all have a testimony, listen, of God's grace. A testimony of where God changed our life. God's grace. So our life should be dominated by this unmerited favor of God. Paul never forgot where he came from. So Paul was branded by the grace of God. Secondly here. Paul was branded by a passion for the lost. Remember, Paul is a Jew. Paul is a Jew, but God called him to the Gentiles. In, in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, we read, he said, God's going to send you to the Gentiles, to kings, and to the children of Israel. Ephesians 3, 8, Paul says this, To me, though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, if you've got a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 9. I'm going to read three verses here that are pretty amazing verses. They're amazing because of what Paul says in them. Look at what Paul says 
about, the, about his love for Christ and his love for his people, the Israelites, in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. This is what Paul says. I am speaking the truth in Christ. He says, I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness and the Holy Spirit. It would be like us saying, I promise, I put my hand on the Bible. He's like swearing or vowing here. God, the Holy Spirit's my witness on this. Here's what he says. Verse 2, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my hearts. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I was reading on this, and if you study on this, there are some Bible scholars that say Paul was saying this. I would be willing to be cursed and separated from Christ eternally, in other words, doomed to hell, so that my people, the Israelites, could go to heaven. Now you stop and think about that kind of love. I couldn't say that. I, I couldn't say, I want all of Tallahassee to go to heaven, and I would be willing to go to hell if all of Tallahassee could go to heaven. It would be hard for me to say, because I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to pay that punishment for eternity. Some people say, could Paul have even truly said that because it's such a remarkable statement. He would be willing to suffer hell so that the Israelites could all go to heaven. What a burning love. Even though he was sent to the Gentiles, what a burning love that he had for his people. Most of us have heard this saying before by Jim Elliott, who was a missionary martyr back in the 50s. And he was called to go to the Auk Indians, and the Auk Indians killed him and some other men. And when he was a college student at Wheaton University, this is what he said. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Here's a guy that's 20-something years old and says, I can't keep my life, so I'm going to give it. I can't keep it anyway. I'm going to give it. And he did give it. He did give it. Philippians 1.20, this is Paul speaking and he says this, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, here's what Paul said, Christ will be honored in my body, here's how, whether it be by life, in my life, or by death. In other words, he's saying, the whole time I'm alive, I want Christ to be honored. And even when I die, I want Christ to be honored. And then lastly this morning, let's notice this. Paul was branded by humility and suffering. Let me read 2 Corinthians 12, 6 through 10 to you. <clears throat> Paul says, Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking in truth. But I refrain from it, I refrain from boasting, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears in me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, Paul said, that, he should, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, Paul said, so that the power of Christ 
may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, Paul said, then I am strong. I want to read you what Matthew Henry in his commentary says about this passage. It's a little bit long, but I hope you'll follow along with me because it's some great words here. This is what he said. The apostle gives an account of the method God took to keep him humble, this thorn in the flesh, and to prevent him and prevent his being lifted up above measure on account of the visions and revelations that he had. He's saying, God gave Paul this thorn in the flesh so he wouldn't get high and lifted up himself. He says, we are not told what this thorn in the flesh was, whether some great trouble or some great temptation, but God often brings this good out of evil, that the reproaches of our enemies help to hide pride from us. If God loves us, He will keep us from being exalted above measure. And spiritual burdens are ordered to cure spiritual pride. Did you get that? Sometimes you say, why is this happening to me? Sometimes it's to keep our pride down. This thorn in the flesh is said to be a messenger of Satan, which he sent for evil, but God designed it and overruled it for good. Prayer is a salve for every sore, a remedy for every ailment. And when we are afflicted with thorns in the flesh, we should give ourselves to prayer. If an answer be not given to the prayer first, nor to the second, we are to continue praying. Troubles are sent to teach us to pray and are continued to teach us to continue instant in prayer. Though God accepts the prayer of faith, yet He does not always give what is asked for, as He sometimes grants in wrath. So He sometimes denies in love. We would all be in trouble if God gave us everything we prayed for. When God does not take away our troubles and temptations, yet if He gives grace enough for us, We have no reason to complain. Because grace signifies the goodwill of God toward us. And that is enough to enlighten and enliven us. Sufficient to strengthen and comfort in all afflictions and distresses. Here it is. His strength is made perfect. How? In our weakness. Thus, God's grace is made known and magnified. When we are weak in ourselves, then we are strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we feel that we are weak in ourselves, then we go to Christ. We receive strength from Him and enjoy most the supplies of the divine strength and grace. Sometimes those of us who preach or teach are guilty of leaving the impression that if you come to Jesus Christ and you believe in Jesus Christ, your Savior, that that's the end of everything bad in your life. Your life will be perfect from then on. You'll have no burdens. But that is not true. It's just not true. A burden-free Christianity does not exist. It doesn't exist. Did any of the apostles have a burden-free Christianity? No. Many of them and most of them were martyred for Christ. Jesus himself didn't have a burden-free life. Did he suffer persecution? Yeah. I want to show you this morning as we close what God does with our burdens. What God does with our burdens. We all have burdens. Burdens come in different sizes. They come in different weights. Burdens could be a physical burden. 
It could be emotional burden. It could be a burden you carry at work. It could be a family burden that you carry. There can just be tons of burdens. But these burdens are given. And Paul said, I prayed three times that God would take my burden, my thorn in the flesh, and he didn't. So sometimes God just lets us carry our burden. He just lets us carry our burden. And Paul said, three times I prayed, but God just kept me with a burden. But you know what? Sometimes in God's love, step over here. Sometimes in God's love, God takes the burden from us. And he casts the burden away. And the burden is gone. And that's just God's grace and mercy. But most of the time, it's not what he does. Most of the time, he leaves us with a burden. But here's what his promise is. I will lighten the load. I will lighten the load. You still got the burden. Scared you to death. <laughs> Don't die on me right here. I got to have you. <laughs> oh, me. Uh, he says, you still got the burden, but I'm going to lighten the load. And here it is. Jump up there, boy. Now you know I didn't use his dad for this illustration. <laughs> this is what God does. The burden's still there. He's still got the burden, doesn't he? But he doesn't have much of the load. We have a great God. And you know, I don't know all of your burdens. And you don't know all of my burdens. But you know what God wants to do? He wants to lighten your burden. He just wants to lighten your burden. Now, he might take your burden away. What a blessing. But if he doesn't, give your burden to him so he can lighten it. You see, if you're like me, yeah, sometimes I have so much stinking pride that I'm just going to work my way through it. I'm just going to get it done myself. I'm going to figure out how to get rid of this burden. Instead of just getting on my knees and saying, God, would you just take this burden and lighten my load? And just give it to God. Because today, God wants to lighten your load. You know, we've all seen the old, or read the old poem, Two Footprints in the Sand. You know, and it was two footprints in the sand, then it became one when, when Jesus was carrying them. And that's exactly the way it is. And a lot of us have done this, and we're living this right now. Oh, we still got the burden. We still got the health problem, or the family problem, or the whatever it is. But God is lightening the load. And God wants to lighten the load of everybody today. We've got those marks on us, those spiritual marks, just like Paul. But you know what? Paul learned to give it to God. And this morning, as an individual and as a church family, let's give our burdens to God today. You know, this morning, we all came into church, and I did the same thing you did. I did it many times. I came in this morning, I shook your hand, you shook my hand, and I said, how you doing? You said, I'm doing good. How you doing? I said, I'm doing good. Now, it's true. We're all blessed. We're doing good enough to be here, amen? But you know what? None of us want to say, how you doing? Oh, man, let me just tell you. None of us want to do that. Although, 
we got burdens. I don't want to dump all my burdens on you, and you don't want to dump all your burdens on me. But a lot of times when I say I'm doing good, really, I'm not doing too good. Sometimes when you say I'm doing good, you're not really doing too good. And God wants to take your burden today. We're going to do the invitation different. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes right there. We're going to stay seated. I'm going to ask Miss Susie to come play for us. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I don't know what burdens you came with today. I don't know. And that's between you and God. But Miss Susie's going to come play, and we're just going to stay seated today. But the invitation is for us to come and give God a burden or come and pray about a burden. Maybe you've given it to Him, but you just want to pray about it. And God's speaking to your heart, and you know it. You might say, Man, Brother Tommy, I'm sitting in the middle of the pew. How am I going to get out? Listen, we, we all love each other. We'll move our legs over and let you walk out. If God's speaking to your heart this morning, let's come to an altar and give God the burdens. We've got those marks. Let's come and give them. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Listen, if God's speaking to your heart right now as we start this invitation, you come. She's playing. If you need to come pray this morning, you come pray. If you need somebody to pray with you, We'll have some people down here that can pray with you. All you got to do is let us know. You come with a burden today. Others are coming. You come and pray. Some of us have people that we love that don't know the Lord. Can we not pray for them? That ought to be a burden. Some of us have burdens that others don't even know. Give it to God this morning. Ask God to lighten the load this morning.